Hey guys, and welcome back to season two of the Spring and Equestrian podcast. Thank you for being patient with me while I moved houses. It was uh, quite a busy time, so I am back with some more season two episodes and very excited to bring these episodes to you guys. Um, Soon I'm going to be wrapping up season two, and season three is going to be more focused on training, performance, the physicalities of riding, and a little less focused on the entrepreneurial side. Um, I hope that you guys have really enjoyed the episodes up to this point. I know that I have. It's been amazing. Don't forget to rate the podcast and subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you do listen to podcasts. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find this podcast. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Spring and Equestrian podcast. Today, I'm here with Taylor Stafford. She is an equestrian and the owner and founder of Anatomic, um, which has a bunch of equestrian products, and it's her very own baby company that she she launched during the pandemic this year. So um, as far as from her perspective, it's been very successful, all things considered. So I'm really interested to hear lots about that. But first, I just wanted to hear a little bit about you and your background with horses and your business background and kind of uh, let me know how you eventually landed here. But it would be nice to know a little bit more about you personally. For sure. Um, so just to start off, Jess, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Super, you know, it was super exciting when you approached me over um, Instagram, I think it was, and asked me to be part of it. Um, so yeah, just a little bit about me. Um, I'm actually from Quebec. So I know that we're now, you know, both of us are kind of in the Southern Ontario area. Um, I'm originally from a small town in Southern Quebec. There were a lot more dairy farms than there were horse stables growing up. Um, So kind of very uh, kind of, you know, simple, innocent beginnings with horses. Um, My parents had family friends that had a couple, um, a few horses in their backyard and gave uh, riding lessons during the summer months. Um, So that's kind of where it all started. We would drive by their farm quite often. My mom would point out the horses to me. Um, And I think I was about seven or eight when I said, oh, like, I should be riding those horses, mom. Like, I need to take lessons. I'm going to ride those ponies that, you know, your friend has. Um, So finally, my parents agreed. Uh, I think I was a bit of a kind of tiny, frail child. So my mom was a little bit concerned thinking that I was going to, you know, have my first pony ride and be completely terrified. And that was going to be the end of it. Um, but the complete opposite happened. So it was like immediate, you know, as we all equestrians can relate to, um, immediate kind of obsession, love for horses and riding from that point on. Um, So took uh, riding lessons just in the summer, ponies, horses, um, all throughout my childhood. And then finally had my first horse, um, actually did a little bit of pony uh, hunter uh, showing on the, what is, comparable in Ontario to the Trillium circuit as a kid and then got my first uh, thoroughbred gelding um, when I was I think 13 his name was Zeppelin and he was a great first horse and uh, we did the hunters together and the jumpers um, throughout my teenage years Um, and you know kind of struggled a little bit through that just because of where I'm from there aren't a lot of riding stables 
Um, it was a big treat at the age of, I think, 14, we moved uh, to a barn that had an indoor arena that was like completely new for me. Very exciting. Um, and uh, yeah, just kind of evolved from there uh, throughout high school, kind of kept riding, competing on and off in uh, the low level jumpers and then decided, OK, I want to go to university in Ontario because that's where I hear all the good barns are. Um, you know, there's more opportunity for good coaching there for showing, et cetera. Um, so I was very fortunate. You know, my parents agreed. Um, so in 2011, I went to the University of Waterloo. Um, and brought uh, Zeppelin, my first horse still, and another horse that we had purchased as a project um, at the same time. So kept them just outside of Guelph uh, and just kind of rode as much as I could all throughout my university, uh, my four-year degree there. So that was really, uh, again, I was quite fortunate to be able to do that. And it just kind of kept going from there. Uh, I took a degree in environmental studies. So Nothing really related to the equestrian industry. Um, later found out that that wasn't really my true calling as we've kind of figured out because here I am, right? I'm not working in the environmental sector anymore. That's funny because um, I went for the same thing to Laurier. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Wow, small world. I okay, know. I didn't know that. Same program. Yeah. Here we yeah. are. <laughs> so, yeah. So graduated in uh, 2014 and just kind of had a few jobs that lined up for me after graduation in the same, you know, Kitchener, Waterloo, Guelph area. Um, and so I've just stayed in Ontario um, since then awesome. and continued to ride at the same time. Um, we ended up selling uh, both those two horses that we had. And then uh, I purchased um, Paris as a uh, five-year-old mare, which is my current horse right now. Oh, that's awesome. So what is she? Is it a she? It yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. What does yeah, she Paris. do or what's yeah. the... Um, kind of goal with her then? For sure. Um, so I think when we purchased her as a five-year-old, she was kind of going to be my uh, higher level jumper. Um, so I did kind of skip there. I did have one other horse throughout university named Kansas um, that I did the CETs with and the meter 10 jumpers. Um, so Paris was meant to be kind of the stepping stone up to the higher level uh, jumper classes and also a horse that I could kind of bring along um, and learn kind of, you know, how to ride a younger horse and be part of that whole journey. Um, so we did show uh, a couple seasons together um, up to the meter tens. And then now she's just kind of become, uh, I guess the, the coined term is, you know, like your heart horse or mm -hmm. the, the horse that you're never going to give up. So um, we're just taking it easy now. I've really kind of shifted my focus away from showing yeah. um, just to be able to have the resources and the brain power to focus on this business. Um, so once I decided that that was really going to be, you know, a career that I was really going to work hard to, to make happen, I kind of had to shift my priorities a little bit because it is, I was finding it challenging to be riding full-time training, competing, and then also trying to get this business up and running. Um, so we're just kind of enjoying life. She uh, just had her 10th. Uh, 10th birthday yesterday. Wow. So she's a Canada Day baby. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, she's, you know, really sound, really fit and in good shape. And we, I figure we have lots of years left together to do the jumpers and, and do whatever we want to do. So that's awesome. Yeah. So can you tell me about the transition? You graduate school and now what are we, six years later or so? So what did you do yeah. for work? And then how did you kind of realize that you wanted to create something like this? For sure. Um, so 
I think now, you know, hindsight's always 2020. Um, and I think it's a really interesting thing, at least for me personally, everyone in my family is entrepreneurial. So growing up, every single adult in my life was self-employed. And I think that that without realizing had a big impact on me. Um, so I graduated, I had my first, you know, environmental sector job, uh, in a cubicle nine to five. And, uh, I just thought, whoa, this is so different, uh, than what I was expecting. And this is so not resonating with who I am as a person. Um, so I definitely kind of struggled. I jumped around from job to job, you know, at first thinking, oh, it's just this job, you know, the next environmental job that I get will be different. Um, and then I think I was on, you know, job two or three and said, okay, no, this isn't the job itself. Um, I worked mostly in the public sector. So, you know, great working environment, great people, good compensation. I said, okay, this, this isn't it. This is more to do with my, you know, personal ambitions, the person who I am. I'm not connecting with my work. And I think that was something that was always, for whatever reason, really important to me. I wanted to love what I was doing every day. Um, so then I kind of took a bit of a leap. I transitioned over to working um, sales in the equestrian industry. So did that um, for about, I think, two years with various companies. Really enjoyed that. So that was kind of, uh, that kind of clicked a lot more for me. It was like, okay, I'm getting there. I'm figuring this out. I think, you know, I want to make my my career, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, my life, you know, somehow connected to horses, to the equestrian industry in this way. Um, but again, I just was not feeling completely fulfilled working for someone else. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to be creating, making my own decisions. Um, but I also had kind of the pressure of, you know, society and your friends and family saying, oh, you're so young, you, you need to gain life experience, you need to work for other people. Um, you can't just, you know, start your own business and, um, you know, you know, just keep doing what you're doing and things will work out. Um, and so, you know, I'm really thankful of the experience that I gained, um, working those couple of years in the equestrian industry. It gave me, you know, great networking opportunities. I got to learn a lot about just kind of how things worked in the industry that way on the sales kind of retail sales, um, side of things, but I could not envision myself long-term just working for, I guess, someone else, as kind of controversial as that sometimes can sound and seem um, in kind of our industry and society as a whole. So I just kind of said, okay, I, you know, want to have my own business. That is what I kind of grew up seeing my family, my parents doing. Um, So how can I make that happen? So as I continued working um, full time, I, you know, had this light bulb moment and said, oh, this is, you know, the light bulb moment was essentially an idea for a product that then became the catalyst for anatomic, um, as it is today. Um, and so I started working on that on the side at first, just kind of like, uh, Oh, I'm not gonna, you know, tell too many people about this. I'm just going to for fun, um, you know, start researching fabric and the design and just, um, see where this goes. And then I got about 18 months in, um, and I was not able to really, put as much of my, I guess, energy and brain power into it as I felt I needed to. I was noticing I was making a lot of mistakes and and forgetting things just because I was, you know, had a horse, was competing a little bit in the summers, was doing a sales job, Mm -hmm. you know, had my two dogs, had my house, had my life. It was a lot to juggle. Um, And long story short, I just kind of realized, okay, I know that this, whether it's anatomic or another business that I create down the road, this is kind of 
where my future is pulling me. This is the path I want to take. So at some point you just, in my case, had to take the plunge, figure out how to make it work. Um, luckily by then after those 18 months, um, I had kind of, you know, I created the brand name I had incorporated. I had a logo. I had a couple products I had been working on. They were being tested by a couple um, friends and acquaintances that I had met through my my other job. So it was kind of starting to come together to a point where I felt comfortable to say, okay, I can I can you know go kind of full throttle and and launch into this. So that's so cool. I'm gonna go a little bit off base and ask you about um, what was kind of your first product idea. And then in terms of researching fabrics and stuff and getting into the manufacturing side of actually creating products, I think a lot of people just have no, they have really good ideas and then they have no idea how to even start that. So what was your experience like with that? Um, And then I'll move on, but I'm just so interested to hear kind of how that went for you. Yeah. So not going to lie, it was definitely a daunting, challenging process. Um, so just to answer the first part of your question, so the kind of catalyst product um, actually, you know, popped into my head one night. Um, I couldn't sleep. I was literally just, you know, lying in bed thinking, if I can solve a problem for the horse industry, if I can solve a problem for horse owners and riders, then that will be a good enough, I'll create a solution for that problem, and that will be a good enough starting point for the business. So what popped into my head was horse blankets. Um, and if anyone listening isn't super is is somewhat familiar rather with anatomic and has been on our website, you'll see that currently. So this is being recorded, you know, July 2020. We don't currently have horse blankets on the website. They're coming soon. Um, but that was the the catalyst product, and that was the product that has also taken, you know, if you can guess, the most time to develop, refine, um, create, finalize, etc. So, okay, if I can make horse blankets that fit better, that don't cause uh, shoulder rubs, that don't cause mane rubs, that don't rip and tear, that fit better, that don't slip and shift, that are easy to wash um, in a household washing machine, for example, that's a pretty good solution to problems as equestrians that we face, blanketing our horses, et cetera. But, of course, I have an environmental studies degree. You know, I have my, my life um, experience, you know, riding, being a horse owner. I don't have manufacturing experience. I just maybe six months ago learned how to use a sewing machine. Um, so it was a completely daunting, you know, where do I start, um, process, but I don't know. I just had kind of like, I just got obsessed with it and it was a lot of trial and error. And I called a lot of companies and I went to a lot of fabric stores and I just did a lot of research. Um, and I think I was, very thankful in having a good kind of opinion or idea right off the bat for whatever reason of what fabrics were going to work well. So I had the priorities that I wanted to accomplish with the product, right? So it needs to, you know, have a little bit of stretch. It needs to be, you know, thick and durable. It needs to, you know, be dirt and hair repellent in the wash, wash out really easily. It has to be something that when you, you know, sew it together, it's going to have a low profile seam. So it's not going to cause rub marks. So I kind of had those base ideas just from my life experience as an equestrian. Um, and I think I just got a little bit lucky, but I also just somehow had a knack for finding those those good fabrics to work with. So that was the first kind of thing that I tackled was, OK, this is my idea and vision for this product. I need to find the materials to make it. 
Um, and then honestly, I have no connections in the manufacturing industry. Um, it was a lot of Googling, calling, you know, places like pattern makers, um, seamstresses, manufacturers. A lot of them do not, at least in Canada here, um, where I make my products, do not typically want to work with um, companies that are doing something niche, that use heavyweight fabrics, right? They want to do the easy, like, T-shirt, sweatshirt type stuff. So that is also in part why the process, you know, has taken a while, is that it is really tricky. I discovered this. I had no idea. Um, to find a manufacturer that's willing to kind of learn and work with you and and has the machines necessary to work with heavier weight fabrics. Um, so yeah, so it was just a lot of kind of trial and error really, um, and kind of chipping away. I think I probably had to switch um, kind of the, the person that would be helping me make the prototype and, and doing up the pattern and doing the changes for me and all of that. I think I switched uh, two, three times to find a person that fit. So. It definitely was a challenge and did just take a lot of, I guess, just, you know, resilient, hard work, trial and error. That's so cool. That's very interesting. And it's just, yeah, as someone who knows lots of people that start their own businesses that are into like equestrian apparel and all that stuff, it's really interesting to hear the back end because it's, for me, it's so daunting and very um, complicated. So good for you for mm -hmm. doing that. I wanted yes, to know you. and ask you a little bit about kind of, okay, so you have this idea for your new company and what is the, like if you could kind of really narrow it down to a mission or kind of like an inspiration or just what is your brand, if you could put that into a couple sentences and what do you want to be known for kind of thing? For sure. Yeah, that's a great question. I will try to be brief and, and no, succinct okay. on that. Yeah. Um, I think the, the main purpose that Anatomic has is to create high-quality products that are made in Canada that truly prioritize your horse's comfort and performance before anything else. So before we try to cut costs with, you know, sourcing a cheaper fabric or a cheaper way of constructing the product, um, the number one priority is, okay, is this product going to essentially make your horse's life better? And I mean, okay, we can't speak to them. Um, we can't, you know, necessarily ask them, you know, how does the saddle pad, saddle pad you know, feel on your horse? Um, but is it something that we can really see that's going to solve a problem for our horses? So, for example, with our, our solid grip jumper pads, a common issue with saddle pads on the market is that they're, you know, not as breathable as they could be, and they can slip and shift a lot when you're riding. So, it's to me, it's common sense that, you know, your horse probably isn't comfortable being ridden if it feels the saddle pad, you know, slipping and shifting um, while it's, it's going. And at the same time as riders, as horse owners, there's nothing fun about, you know, getting off your horse. Um, and seeing that your saddle pad has created wings, as I call them, on either side, of, you know, um, behind the saddle flap. And then, you know, you take the tack off your horse on a hot summer day after a, a hard jump school or something. And, you know, the entire outline of the saddle pad is just drenched in sweat, right? Um, it's 2020. I feel like we can do better for our horses than that. And, you know, that's really the priority with Anatomic is to create products that are either completely new and innovative that haven't been seen before, um, much like our horse blanket, um, or to, you know, make 
a better solution for our horses than what's currently available, at least within the Canadian market. So, um, I mean, that's really fascinating because there's lots of, there's, I feel like it's much more saturated than even just a couple years ago. It just keeps like new brands coming in, new people coming, making things. So um, that was another question that just popped into my head for you. So do you think that you are always going to want to just produce and create your own products and sell them? Or are you going to turn into more of like a retail business and you handpick products that you feel are fulfilling certain needs? Or what is the vision for that? So as of right now, the vision is really to have Anatomic be a direct-to-consumer brand um, in the sense that we produce our own branded products. So they're completely, you know, unique to Anatomic. Um, And then we sell them directly to the consumer through, you know, down the road, I'd love to have a mobile pop-up store um, out of a trailer at horse shows. Um, But also, you know, predominantly, especially in today's, world and especially with you know the current situation with uh with covid we're really just looking to be able to sell direct to consumer online through our website and social media it's not to say that down the road the vision um for the brand won't evolve i am definitely open to wholesale inquiries in the future just because i'm only one person um and i really want to service and prioritize all of canada with anatomic products like they're made in Canada, they're, you know, designed, created in Canada. I really want, you know, people from say PEI, you know, to Vancouver Island, um, they're going to have access to anatomic products for their horses. So I am open to that for sure. Um, And I can't speak to the future as well. I definitely am always keeping an open mind. I want to adapt the brand to what customers want, right? To what, you know, equestrians are looking for. Um, so yeah, we'll have to see kind of, uh, how it goes, but I definitely don't ever anticipate to become a retailer yeah. where I'm say carrying the same brands that, you know, another store 10 minutes down the road is carrying and competing that way. I really am focusing on, um, the anatomic product line and creating those innovative, unique products under the anatomic, uh, banner. Awesome. Um, so then in that respect I wonder did you start kind of um, reaching out to your consumer base well before you launched like how did you develop kind of like a customer following did you do you mentioned that you did testing with some people Um, so I really want to know kind of if you specifically marketed yourself before you even launched the company and I know that that's an easy answer yes but more so in detail kind of some of the steps that you took to kind of create a little bit of buzz or interest uh, making sure that you felt confident with the products that you were launching and um, after that I guess you can kind of segue into what challenges might have come up because when you were launching which was March I believe um, yes yeah yeah we literally went right into a quarantine lockdown. So kind of the backstory of coming, leading up to launching the company and how you kind of started marketing towards your, your ideal customers and then how things had to change over those next couple of months. For sure. Um, so actually in my, I guess, critical personal opinion of my, of myself or of my efforts pre-launch, in hindsight, I did not really market the company and market 
myself as the face of Anatomic. Um, really before launch um, at all, or even the first month of launch. I think it took me a while to figure out social media in my personal life. I'm not super active on it. So it took a while to kind of become comfortable and say, okay, I got to, you know, show my face and people want to connect with, you know, the person behind the brand, which is totally legitimate and understandable. Um, So leading up to, you know, launch, I really was just, you know, networking within my um, kind of circle of of people that I had met through my past um, jobs in the equestrian industry and also through people I knew personally through, you know, riding and horse shows and whatnot. So essentially it was the people that knew me personally or if someone knew the same person that I did and they happened to mention it to them, then you'd know that, oh, yeah, okay, this girl that we see at the horse shows that I've you know, spoken to once or what have you is uh, working on this business. But I really did keep it kind of hush hush because I think as well, like I mentioned, you know, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm not really sure if it's going to be a thing. You know, it can be definitely nerve wracking and stressful and to just, you know, you're launching your creative output to the world. You're showing everyone what you've been working on for the past two years. It's like your baby, right? And then you're just having to be okay here it is. And of course we all want to be liked. We all want people to, you know, be, you know, receptive and positive to what we're creating and what we're trying to, I guess, you know, put out to the world for lack of a better term. So yeah, I, I didn't do a ton of networking, um, beyond just kind of my immediate circle, um, going into the product testing aspect of that, that was something that I did really prioritize. And I still really do continue to prioritize with, you know, new products that we're working on currently Um, because it's of no value for me, for example, to just test, you know, the products that I'm creating. I'm obviously biased. I'm looking at them through a little bit of a funnel. Um, I need someone that doesn't have, you know, any of the background, you know, understanding or knowledge of this product to just take it, clean slate, put it on their horse riding it for example i'm thinking of the saddle pads right now mm-hmm. um or our, our our polo wraps as well um and see what they think right or same thing with the blanket um hey you want to hey you want to you know put this blanket on your horse um for the next you know 12 to 24 hours and see if it slips around see what you think about it take it home to your own washing machine wash it see how it performs um so those were all things where i and i i also purposefully chose to not just use um, kind of friends of mine on a personal level to test the product because of course they're going to be biased as well. So I was really, you know, um, lucky to have, you know, acquaintances and kind of, um, you know, people I had met through work at a professional level that I knew were going to be, you know, um, discreet. So, you know, just to test it on their own and not, you know, broadcast it to the world, say before the product had finished its testing. Mm -hmm. Um, but that also were going to be objective enough because they didn't really know me on a personal level. Um, and they were really gonna, you know, you know, we're interested in the product and we're willing to give it a go and test it, um, just to kind of be nice and because they were intrigued. So that was something that, that was, um, kind of, it definitely, I guess, tied into the networking, um, behind the scenes before launch, but it was more so you know, revolving around the focus of it being related to the product testing, making sure that if we were going to launch with these products, they had to be, you know, as good as we could make them with the resources, the information that we had available. Um, So we also tested, you know, on different shapes of horses. 
So, for example, with the horse blankets, we tested on quarter horses, draft crosses, narrow thoroughbreds and warm bloods, uh, large ponies as well for our small size. So we really, you know, that was my focus was to exhaust all the energy um, there before, you know, having everything finalized, yeah. having the products pr produced and then going into launch. Um, so I think that answers maybe half of your question. Um, it was a bit of a loaded question there. Yeah, sorry. Um, no, that's okay. So, uh, so now going into a little bit more about after launch and how that was, how that all went down with uh, the pandemic situation. Yeah, that's what okay. I'm interested in hearing about. Kind of what was your initial market strategy, like bringing it mm -hmm. out, and then um, yeah. was I mean the great thing is at this point with that all happening, everybody is online. So I guess yeah, it's different yeah. than a traditional business launch that is not strictly online, but what kind of challenges did that pose for you or did it actually make it, you know, more of a success from your perspective? I know that you don't have anything to compare it to because mm -hmm. you just had to launch it at that time mm -hmm. or that's what your plan was. But I'm interested to know kind of if there was a pivot or how that went oh, for yes. you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so there's definitely a pivot. Um, so prior to, um, so we had a little bit of a challenge with one of the products that we were producing where I didn't know exactly when it would be ready. Um, and I didn't want to launch in case, you know, it took off and then I was fulfilling, I was, you know, having orders being placed yeah. on the website, for example, but the product wasn't, you know, hadn't been made yet, wasn't ready yet. That would not be good. So we were always a timeline goal I set for myself, you know, nine, 10 months prior in the year. Um, but it was a little bit last minute as well because we just weren't sure about that last product. And I wanted to launch with both the saddle pads and the polos together. Um, but one thing that I had banked on, so when I'm doing all my pre-planning um, for the March launch, this would have been back in January, February, early March, um, I was thinking, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, launch the website. We're going to do a rollout on social media a couple weeks prior. And then I'm going to, you know, turn my two horse bumper pull into a mobile store. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go and do all these collabs with uh, local tax stores that I had met through my other job. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to go to all these new horse shows that were popping up on the circuit this summer. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was going to just be everywhere. I was going to be at all the shows. I was going to be like a little traveling, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> I was going to say gypsy, but whatever, a little traveling person just going around to all these horse shows um, and really, you know, giving people the chance to touch the product, see the product. I was going to offer a demo program where you could, you know, literally just give like a $25 deposit, take the saddle pad, go ride in it at the show. And then come back and let me know if you want to purchase one or not. I have all these innovative, kind of in my mind, innovative, you know, interesting marketing um, ideas that were really going to help to put, you know, anatomic at the forefront of people's minds. Um, and mind you, um, you know, depending on, you know, the people listening, I was in this case focusing really on the hunter jumper shows and a little bit on the, the horse trials and the uh, dressage shows as well. Um, but because we were just launching with our jumper pad, the hunter jumper shows were my focus. So all of the marketing ideas that I had, long story short, were all dependent on, you know, you know, face-to-face -face human contact yeah. and people being able to touch and feel and try um, the products. 
So, of course, that all came to a halt. I think I was maybe a week away from finalizing my schedule for the summer, more or less. Um, and then kind of disaster struck and, and here we are. So 110%, I had to pivot. Yeah. Um, and as I think a lot of people can understand, it was not something I had planned for. There wasn't really a plan B because um, it never really occurred to me that something like this would just happen and throw off all of these plans, right? So I became much more um, reliant on social media. And I definitely think that that, you know, really paid off because as you mentioned, Jess, um, everyone went online, right? We were all kind of stuck at home. We were missing out on, you know, what other people were up to, what they were doing, how everyone was feeling. We had maybe a lot more extra time to research into brands and, and different things that we might want to explore for our horses. So that was all positive. Um, and, you know, I definitely could have been a little bit quicker to the social media train, like I think I mentioned. Um, but it took me a couple of weeks of just kind of cringing at the thought of putting my face on on Insta stories, which now for those people listening that follow me, um, if you do, you know, I'm pretty much on there, you know, a couple times a week, just checking and giving updates. And it's really interesting because this whole process has completely changed as well. My kind of feeling towards using social media that way. Mm -hmm. um, and it's almost like I'll go through a work day and then I'll be like, oh, I want to do a quick, you know, update on my story for everyone. Or if I'm getting a lot of questions that are kind of all similar, then I can post a video, you know, and answer everyone's questions at once. And it has actually, I really, truly feel really benefited the company, both from an exposure perspective and also just from a direct sales perspective as well. So um, it's been really, really interesting and really key. Um, and I think it's also further, um, it's, it's working more and more to further convince me of staying on track with our initial idea, which was to do direct to consumer sales, yeah. more so than relying on retailers, right? Initially I thought, okay, well I'll go out this summer and I'll have the mobile set up and I'll also get to network with a lot of, you know, uh, retail tax store owners, and then I'll hopefully get them to carry anatomic products in the future. Um, whereas now I'm saying, okay, well, you know, we can still definitely do that. But at the same time, I'm getting a decent amount of traction just direct to consumer. And as a small brand that has a small product offering of, in my opinion, of course, I'm biased, but very unique, you know, amazing, innovative products it's much more kind of beneficial and I much more prefer to be able to kind of um, be the messenger about my products to the public and to the equestrian industry a lot more, right? And going through a secondary channel like a retailer, um, because at the end of the day, no one's going to know anatomic products better than myself, right? Because I essentially was the person that designed them um, and created them. So I feel like that just allows me to connect with customers a lot more and I can help them a lot more as well to understand the benefits and features um, much better than, you know, for example, objectively um, better than a retailer could that carries, you know, 100 plus brands in their store possibly. Yeah. I mean, so many good points there. So I'm trying to keep them in my head so I don't throw another loaded question <laughs> at you. But That's okay. it's funny how, like, um, you kind of went through that process, you know, it's changing a lot now where people or at least consumers and even myself as a customer of other businesses, 
really resonate with knowing the face behind the brand and you can legitimately see it with your, you know, analytics, how having a story and a personality and having someone that actually created a product tell you about it and you see their face and, you know, you see the product and how they're behind it. It's so much more likely that you're going to get that customer than have them walk into a large retailer where they just exactly. pick something off the rack that they don't really know, you know, it's, it's amazing what social media can do. And it's funny that you mentioned, you know, that you were kind of cringing at the thought of putting your <laughs> face in it because we all go through that yeah. because are you, you know, are you selling out? Are you being an imposter? Like it's uh, daunting. And then once you realize that people actually appreciate that, yeah. um, then there's this yeah. huge turnaround yeah. with, well, actually direct to consumer is kind of where it's at. You have complete and utter control over, you know, who's buying your, who's representing your brand too, because um, like I saw many, um, what's the word that I'm thinking of ambassadors for your Mm -hmm. products that you have. And that's another unique marketing approach. I know that, that it's being used more, but what you said about people coming to your little pop-ups and actually being able to try it, is an amazing market strategy. And that's something that you could easily employ once we're back to normal. But um, for sure. Yeah, you're, yeah, it's very innovative and very creative. You shouldn't kind of <laughs> knock yourself down because that's so amazing. Um, so I guess for you, what does it look like? You know, do people order your products online. Are you the mm-hmm. one who is, are you making to order? Are you you know, keeping stock at your house? Like, how is that working right now? Yep, for sure. Um, So actually, just one thing I wanted to comment on from your previous comment, Jess, is that if you look at all the successful brands right now that are online that that go direct to consumer, so Glossier, for example, makeup, um, all birds for sneakers, things like that. Mm-hmm. There are so many successful new brands right now that are emerging that are really choosing to just go direct to consumer for all the reasons that we just mentioned. And I think it's interesting how it's clearly such a trend and such a success in other industries, but it's still a little bit lagging in the equestrian mm-hmm. industry, right? We're still kind of still kind of set back in kind of the local tax store um, way of purchasing. But I do think that this pandemic especially has kind of helped to kind of catapult the industry kind of more to being in line with other industries in terms of online shopping becoming the norm, et cetera. Um, So very, very interesting. I find retail trends fascinating. Um, Anyway, to answer your question, um, yes. So what we do is right now we kind of operate similar to a boutique retailer, if that makes sense to people. So we do small production runs. Um, and then we'll have our kind of standard, you know, colors or styles that will stay. And then we'll have, um, so for in the case of the saddle pads, we'll have then different seasonal colors that will come in. And those will be limited edition. So that involves one production run. We make however many of them, depending on fabric and, and resources. And then once they sell out, they're gone. So I do like to include that seasonality there because I think it keeps, you know, it fresh on the website. Yeah. People can kind of, you know, keep checking in, seeing what new colors, new styles are coming out. With our polo wraps as well, we had a limited edition brushed finish for our air support polos. Um, And that was actually a fabric that I had ordered 
um, to be the fabric for the air support polo, um, but then realized that it wasn't dirt or hair resistant um, as much as I had wanted it to be. So I sourced another fabric for that because I wanted the polos to have that feature. But I said, okay, this is still really, you know, good quality fabric. Um, this is still going to provide value to to horses and their and horse owners, riders. So we'll do a limited edition, you know, brushed finish. And it was amazing. They sold out. They sold out quite quickly, and people loved them. They said, okay, so it's not dirt hair resistant, but you know, it has a nice kind of you know fleecy texture if that's what you're looking for, right? Everyone's preferences, everyone's horses are different, um, and that's okay. I'll just you know wash them more often and. I don't need to, you know, have the dirt repellent finish on them. So we do try to give, you know, variety within the currently limited product selection that we offer because we are a small business. We're just starting out. Um, but we do try to offer those limited edition colors or styles. So that's essentially how it's working right now. As the company grows, of course, that will adapt and change as needed. Um, I would also eventually love to be able to offer or to maybe partner with, you know, an embroiderer um, and offer, you know, custom options for our saddle pads and maybe also custom, um, you know, trim colors and custom uh, piping and things like that as well. It's just right now figuring out the logistics of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so currently uh, our inventory warehouse is half of my garage. Yeah. Um, so very kind of relatable to people like we're very, you know, just starting out. Um, but, uh, yeah, actually we are, um, I think I mentioned this to you, Jess, we are moving in the next couple of weeks. Um, we have a new property where very excited because, uh, we're going to have a detached workshop, um, garage that has a loft on the top. So the loft is going to be my office. Yeah. Currently I mostly work off of our dining room table right now. So I'm so looking forward to having a designated space and we're going to have an actual, you know, kind of inventory warehouse set up um, on the, the lower level there as well. Um, but yeah, so currently um, small production runs as needed and uh, we store everything at my home and then we ship out from my home um, address as well. That's so cool. And it's just, I mean, everybody has to start somewhere, but it already sounds sure. like you have a lot of traction and people are really interested in your products and you're getting really good feedback and the fact that you're so open about the products and then also open to taking the feedback is what makes your brand what it is. I mean, it's so, um, well, it's so, it's so important in, yeah. in my opinion, because I'm creating these products for you, the customer, you know, the equestrian, the horse owner. I'm also creating them for your horse. Um, and so for me, it's, you know, it's customer service 101. I want everyone that makes an anatomic purchase to, you know, really try it out, give me their feedback. Um, I probably won't be able to continue doing this for much longer because it gets time consuming, but I've actually been almost more or less following up with each order since launch. Um, and doing my due diligence as a new business and just saying, you know, how's it going? How are you liking the product? Um, any feedback, you know, pros and cons. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, I just want everyone to, you know, love the product, be happy with them. And our customer service policies, you know, our, our refunds, returns, if necessary. Luckily, knock on wood, we've been very, you know, able to avoid that um, so far. 
But um, I really just want everyone to be, you know, happy with the products and be excited and, and love them as much as I do. So it really is top priority for me to get that feedback um, and essentially just to give really good customer service. Well, that's, yeah, congratulations, because it already seems to be in a very positive direction. And it, that's not yeah, to say that you. it's, uh, you know, you, ha- you have to create something that you're really confident with, but there's always going to be some kind of issue with something for someone like horses and people mm-hmm. are so different and so are preferences. So exactly. Um, you know, you're constantly evolving and solving problems. And I think for yeah. some people they get stuck because they want to perfect something to a point where they will never put it out, you know, in the world. And that's kind of what yes. you were saying was yeah. like, well, it's taken so much time, but the difference is, is that, you know, you are putting it out there and you're willing to try and willing to take feedback. So that's probably, you know, in part why it's been so successful so far. So that's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and so I guess I probably should, yeah, we'll wrap this up and I would love to have you back. You know, if you have your blankets out at some point to talk about them, because I feel like we could probably talk yes. over all of your products over and over. Uh, uh, yes. Just to be honest, I think the blankets could be a podcast topic on their own. Yeah. Um, because going back to your brief comment there about, you know, working really, really hard on a product and never wanting to um, release it. I did get stuck in that cycle a little bit because it is so innovative and so different. Um, I think it took 11 or 12 versions of the blanket before I finally said, okay, this is really as good as it yeah. you know, needs and can be. And uh, yeah, so that would be great to, to come back um, in a few months and give everyone an update on that. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited because from what you're saying, it's something that we've not potentially seen before. So that's really interesting too. I'm sure everyone listening. So do you want to tell everybody where they can find you and anatomic and, um, I'll leave you with that. Definitely. So I try to keep it nice and simple. So on Instagram, we are at anatomic. That's it. And as well for our website, it's anatomic.com. We also have a Facebook page, um, that is, I think, I think it's uh, anatomic equestrian products, but regardless, our brand name is unique enough. You just yeah. put anatomic in the Google bar and it'll all pop up. Good. And that's spelt uh, A-N-A-T-O-M-E-Q. So yeah. a play on the actual word anatomic, but well, thank you for finally, oh my gosh, finally connecting with me. <laughs> we went through like a whole debacle there with COVID and then I was moving and now you're moving. So I really appreciate it. And, um, I could, I could really pick your brain on a lot more things. I'm so interested in kind of how like the equestrian and the business world meet, and it's just such an evolving thing right now. So, um, you are, I can't believe you didn't go to school for business because the way that you're talking about your market research and all of your approaches to things. So, um, it was a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Once again, thanks for having me. No problem.